Studio Ervo and Bonfire Press present Essence House by Eric J. Cockrell and Chuck Pino. Read by Michael Goodrich. Chapter 8. Les Muse et Deux Essences. January 24th, 1995. Tristan pulled his ranger's jacket up to cover his neck as he stepped out from the Cortland Street subway station and into the cold, crisp New York City air. He immediately spotted his destination and briskly walked toward it, newspaper in hand. At the hospital that morning, he had picked up the paper and read about the beginning of the O.J. Simpson trial. That had hit him hard. He had barely remembered it as a child, but it was still news before he had left 2020. He was literally living history. Walking down Church Street, he took in the skyscrapers that loomed over him, with a quiet reverence that no one around him would understand for another six or more years. Tristan could feel a heaviness in his chest. So many thoughts whirled in his mind as he stared up at the Twin Towers. If he couldn't save his cousin, he might have to relive this again. If that were true, though, could he live with himself, knowing that he could save so many lives, stop so much pain, not just here but around the world? Could he sit by and do nothing? What would the world be like if he stopped this? Would it be better? Worse? Could he even stop it at all? Should he stop it? He stood there and stared for Lord knows how long, completely unaware that thousands of people were walking right past him. They themselves completely clueless that he had held the key to safety from what would befall this neighborhood and ripple out through the entire world. Hey! An older gentleman shouted from nearby. Tristan Broken from his trance, turned to see a frumpy man dressed in clothes that were suited for function over form, eyeing him through a disheveled array of gray hairs that sprung out from his clothes like a lion's mane. You see it too, huh? The old man inquired, pointing a plump thumb towards the buildings. Sorry? Tristan replied, confused. See what? I ain't one of them, boy. Don't you pretend like you don't see it. It's all going to be gone soon, and you can see it. I can tell by your eyes. The old man's face was inches from Tristan's. He could smell the stench of the streets on him, but that wasn't what was bothering him. Was this man another time traveler? How do you know? Tristan gasped, the only words he could think to ask escaping his lips. The old man grunted. You ain't the only one who knows about them furballs. Tristan balked and shook his head. Wait, what? That's right, boyo. Charlie Heston's message got to me, too. This is all going to be gone one day, and most likely in your time, not mine. The apes own it all soon. Best make your peace with that. He clapped a hand on Tristan's shoulder and walked away. Tristan awoke from his thoughts as he passed the sign for Sands Point, New York. His mind had wandered a lot during the drive, especially since Tim had left. As angry as he was with the older Edmund, he was more worried than anything else. Tristan had seen firsthand how messing with the timeline could affect things. Hell, he had stared at it face to face when they stepped out of the wine cellar and saw Jessica standing behind his father as though they had never met. He picked up his phone, checked the time, and placed it back on the center console of his car. It had gotten dark again as he drove over the state line, and now it was getting late. It was nearly 10 o'clock, and he was hoping Tim was at Barnabas's shop as he had promised. His thoughts drifted back to Jessica once more. 
What part did she have to play in all this? He could see Essen's corners up ahead on his left. It was too late for his dad and Jessica to still be there, but chances are they were still in town. His father seemed pretty adamant about keeping them away from the shed now, and that would require his personal attention. The parking lot was empty, save for a pickup truck with one lone figure sitting inside, watching the property. Great, he hired goons, Tristan muttered to himself. He sighed and looked down at his phone. There had to be some way for him to get in touch with Jessica and find out what was happening. If he could get through to her, maybe they could talk and he could get some answers. As he began to look back up, his phone shot out of his hand and landed with a loud clunk on the passenger side floor. Turning to see what had happened, Tristan found himself staring directly at what could only be described as a shadow that looked to be staring right back at him. It sat there, immobile in the passenger seat, as though regarding him deeply. The longer he looked at it, the more the form came together. He was sure he could make out curves and a feminine form. Was it his imagination, or did it somehow look like Jessica? He blinked and rubbed his eyes, but the shadow didn't move, so as much as it wavered. Believing it to be a trick somehow, he reached up and hit the overhead light. The moment it clicked on, the shadow grew in size, taking up that half of the car, screamed the most blood-curdling shriek he had ever heard, and swept upon him. He could feel the wind upon him as he closed his eyes and gripped the steering wheel, slamming on the brakes hard and turning the car off the road. He felt the car pop up onto the curb and come to a hard stop as a loud crunch told him he had hit something. Mother f- he cried before his face smacked into the steering wheel, his seatbelt pulling him back immediately as his head bounced off of the headrest. He took a second to make sure he could still move and immediately looked to his right. The shadow, whatever it had been, was gone. Opening the door, he popped his seatbelt off and slid out of his seat. He walked around to assess the damage. He had driven straight at a telephone pole, but since he had braked and wasn't going too fast to begin with, he had bent the bumper in and cracked the right headlight nicely. With only a little soreness to contend with, Tristan got back in and drove for another five minutes or so until he had gotten to the plaza where Barnabas's shop was located. He parked out front and walked up to the door. It looked like no one was there, save for a light in the back that came from an open doorway. Tristan knocked loudly and in a few seconds, Tim stepped out of the room and walked over to the front door. Tim opened it and stepped back, letting Tristan walk in. You're a dick, Tristan said. Tim nodded in lamentation. You aren't wrong, but like you, I got answers and I learned my lesson. A lot like you, actually, he said, looking up and pointing to a red mark on Tristan's forehead. What the hell happened? Tristan followed Tim into the back and gave a polite nod to Barnabas. Nice to meet you, sir. Barnabas stood up and shook the young man's hand before beckoning for the two to take a seat on the couch and make themselves comfortable. You know we've met before, right? I used to watch over you when you two were little. Tristan chuckled. Barely, I was little, and after the accident, we never really saw you around anymore. Tim leapt into the conversation as though a light had suddenly turned on. That's right, you did. Man, so much of my childhood is a blur. Why is that? Barnabas smiled and offered Tristan a drink. He gladly accepted a bottle of water. My belief is that it has a lot to do with your travels through time, and then your subsequent removal from the essence, 
though the same happened to Tristan and Elise, so I honestly am not so sure. The room was silent as they pondered the thought, and then Tim pointed at Tristan's head. Hey, yeah, so what happened to your head? Are you okay? Tristan looked a little embarrassed. I got into a little fender bender, literally. I was in my car and, I don't know, I guess the long drive got to me or something, but I thought I saw something that obviously wasn't there and veered off the road. Barnabas leaned forward, curiosity and concern written all over his features. What did you see? Tell me exactly what you saw. Tristan swallowed and told the two about the shadow, about how it looked like a female form, though he personally omitted the part about him thinking that it was Jessica somehow, and then how it jumped at him and looked as though it would swallow him up when he turned on the light. Tim looked as though he barely believed a word, but Barnabas was a strange mixture of excitement and worry. A waste, he whispered to himself, sitting back in his ultra-comfortable chair. A waste of what? Tristan asked, a tinge of annoyance in his voice as he wondered what Barnabas was getting at. The older gentleman swallowed a laugh and shook his head. No, no, what you saw is something we call a waste, or a time waste. We know very little about them, really, save for the fact that they are spirits or shades that are created when timelines are changed. The bigger the change, the more powerful the waste. So the real question, my young Edmund, is... What did you do to create or summon such a creature? Tim's jaw slowly opened as an aha moment began to develop, while his cousin was swimming in guilt. I, well, when we were in 1995, I didn't know what to do. I became friends with this woman, Jessica, and in a moment of weakness, I told her everything I knew. She was a great help, and really, she's the only reason we got back home, or that Tim's even alive he said, pointing a thumb in his cousin's direction. So, when we came back, there she was, right beside my father, working for him. And you saying she's one of these wastes? Barnabas shook his head disapprovingly. No, no, that doesn't make much sense. You see, a waste is a culmination of all the lost potential being drained away as a timeline changes from one thing to another. The theory is that there aren't countless different timelines, but a single one that moves ever forward. So if something is done to change that, the world changes with it. But there are ramifications, and a waste is one such consequence. It would appear, my young friend, that you unwittingly created something that is tied to you by the choice that you made. Tristan was aghast. He couldn't believe that the choices he had made had somehow created such a violent creature. While he pondered that, Tim spoke up. I've had similar yet much more minor occurrences, like seeing shadows out of the corner of my eye and such. Is that the same thing? I think it is, Tim. The very nature of your family and the secrets you hold mean that they will be drawn to you. This town probably holds many a waste, though I wouldn't want to imagine their population. Tristan piped up. When I was talking with Jessica, strange things happened, like a napkin dispenser falling off the table when no one touched it, and a container of chili flakes flying across the restaurant I was at. That sounds like the work of a waste, my boy, Barnabas confirmed, sighing. Tim's phone beeped loudly. He pulled it out quickly, read it, and began typing back furiously. Barnabas paid him no mind, but 
Tristan was a little annoyed at his cousin. Sorry, are we disturbing you? Tim held up a finger which only furthered his bother. When he was finished typing, Tim put the phone down. Sorry, no, this is cool as hell. This entire night has been eye-opening, which is actually what I was dealing with. Tristan leaned back. Go on. Tim grinned. Yeah, okay, so Barnabas and I had a talk. It turns out that he was the head of something called the Essence Guard. Grandpa Roland made him the leader until someone could take the mantle. In the meantime, he has a folder with all these notes from Grandpa about different missions he has to undertake to make sure that everything happens as they're supposed to. He was the one who sent the note to the hospital for you. He helped me get back safe when I took my little trip to the past. He's been watching over us the entire time. Helped you get back safe? Tristan asked, cocking his head with a smug yet inquiring look on his face. Tim smirked. Yeah, it turns out I pushed that little girl into traffic back in 1995. But you're the one that pushed me over while I was trying to go back. So if you think about it, this was really all your fault. Tristan pursed his lips, narrowed his eyes, and punched Tim in the arm. You're not loading that crap on me. That's 99% you and 1% me. Tim nodded his approval. Even 1% is pretty generous. I'll take it. He took a sip of his beer and continued. Anyways, I guess being so close to myself is what set off the coma. I almost didn't make it back, but Barnabas followed Grandpa's mysterious notes so well that he was able to get me to jump back here and met me at my truck and everything. Okay, and how does that explain you being rude and texting while Barnabas was trying to explain to us about how ghosts were created from the time stream? Tristan asked. Tim put his phone aside and gave the two his full attention. All right, well, Barnabas had some information for me from Grandpa Roland. It turns out that there's a little museum in Switzerland called... Crap, let me find it again. He opened his phone before butchering the name. The Musée du Essence. Anyways, I looked into it, and they specialize in the media use, history, and science behind time travel. Tristan seemed unimpressed. So, it's a little museum on the other side of the pond? How would they know anything about what is going on here? Tim shrugged. I don't know, but they called it the Museum of Essence. They used our word. They've got to know something. Tristan took another slug of water. It's not much to go on. Barnabas, did Grandpa Roland say anything else about this place? Or even why we had to seek them out? Barnabas had no good answers for them. I'm afraid not. The reality of the situation is that sometimes Roland gave exact instructions because things couldn't afford to go wrong, and other times he gave little information because he couldn't afford for people to try to outsmart the system and change things. I'm afraid that this time it is the latter and not the former. Tim jumped back into the conversation. Exactly. All I have is the name to go on. Anyways, I emailed them about the property and the fact that there was some strangeness that they might be interested in. They got back to me pretty quickly and just informed me that they're sending a small team to take a look at the property. They said they'll be here in a few days. And you've been sitting on this information all along, Barnabas? Tristan asked. Inadvertently, my dear boy, I assure you. He pointed to Tim. I was given an envelope for your cousin, and inside it was that information. It has been sealed for almost 50 years. You got a message from Grandpa Roland? Tristan looked dejected. What did it say? Tim felt bad. 
He had been chosen as the leader, and Tristan hadn't. He had hoped that he wouldn't have to bring it up, but he didn't like the idea of having to hide it from him. It, it said that I was the head of the Essence Guard now, and that my first mission was to find out about the history of the Essence. That that was the most important thing for me to do right now. He mentioned the museum, and then that was it. It was really short. He didn't have the heart to tell Tristan the part about how Roland was proud of him or any of the sentiments that had been put into the letter. It would only serve to make Tristan feel worse for not being picked. Well, good for you, he said, trying unsuccessfully to mask his jealousy and disappointment. Barnabas produced an envelope from the file folder and handed it to Tristan. Before you think that you were not thought of, my young friend, you were. Here is your letter. He shut the folder and began putting it back into the filing cabinet. Now it was Tim's turn to be surprised. Oh, cool. He got one too? Um, isn't this stuff I should know since, you know, leader of the guard and everything? He twirled his finger in the air to emphasize his point. Barnabas closed and locked the filing cabinet. I'm afraid not, Tim. You know exactly what you need to know. Focus on this meeting with the advocates from the Musée and I will handle the minutiae. Tim nodded and stood up. Yeah, that's a good call, Barnabas. We have our marching orders. I'm exhausted. Tristan, do you want to get a drink or something? Tristan looked up from the envelope with his name on it in a delightful calligraphy and smiled. That sounds good, man. Let's see if we can get a bite to eat, too. I'm starved. The two thanked Barnabas and left, heading out in Tim's truck, since it was now the more reliable of the two vehicles. Barnabas locked the door behind them and sighed aloud. Good luck, young sirs. You will absolutely need it. Several days later, Tim and Tristan were dressed nicely. Nothing fancy, but in button-up shirts and clean jeans. They were in Tim's truck again, now on their way to Essence Corners, the light fading from the cool winter day. So, they said that they would meet us here, just like that? Tristan asked as Tim pulled into the plaza. Tim nodded and parked the truck near the main entrance, looking around for security. He spotted a car with someone in a cap marked Security, enjoying some videos on their tablet. Not too far away were a pair of black SUVs that were obviously rentals. Tim stepped out of his truck and began to approach the vehicles, Tristan closely behind him. Four people stepped out of each vehicle. One woman, tall and blonde, with hair pulled back in a tight bun, led the group. She was dressed quite nicely in a long, form-fitting dress cut just below her knees and a fur coat. Behind her were four burly men, all in expensive black suits and dark shades. They looked like CIA agents from a bad spy movie. The remaining three were dressed in jeans and heavy coats and looked to be rooting through the back of the SUVs for equipment of some kind. You must be Timothy Edmund, the woman said to Tim with a slight German accent smiling with her hand extended for a firm shake. Tim took the hand and gave her a shake, followed by a polite nod. I am, and this is my cousin, Tristan, he started, pointing to the younger man next to him. A shout erupted from nearby, and the security guard was running up, one hand holding a mag light and the other resting on the pistol on his hip. Hey, you two aren't supposed to be here! The woman didn't look concerned, but Tim asked her for a moment alone with the man. Maybe take your hand off the pistol, buddy. Rick may have asked you to keep us away, but shooting the other owners of the property in front of witnesses is a pretty stupid idea. 
The agent growled in annoyance, pulled out his phone and walked away, keeping the group in his sights as he did so. Meanwhile, the remaining three that had been searching the SUVs now had pieces of equipment that looked like metal detectors and began to walk around the property. Tim turned back to the woman, apologetic. Sorry, you must be Greta. I thought we were just meeting and taking a look at the property. The woman smiled back. We are. These are scientists exploring the grounds as we speak. Pay them no mind. Tristan was beginning to get antsy as Tim and Greta went over pleasantries, discussing the trip over and her explaining more about the museum. So, when someone like you, gentlemen, tell us that they know of a property that has access to the essence, as we call it, we take that very seriously. One of the scientists called out to her from over by the tool shed, which Tim and Tristan could only assume was German. She called back in the same language, and he immediately picked up a phone and began dialing. Tim was beginning to get irritated while Tristan was worried, scouring the group of people scattered around the grounds. He caught sight of his father being helped into a wheelchair from a car by none other than Jessica and the security officer running over to them, obviously worried about his job. Tristan nudged Tim and pointed his head towards Rick. Damn it, Tim cursed below his breath. What do you idiots think you're doing? Rick called as Jessica wheeled him up to the group. The officer walking alongside her, pistol drawn and pointed down. When the men surrounding Greta took notice of him, they opened their suit jackets and each revealed a pistol of their own. Not bothering to draw them, but just to make everyone in the vicinity aware of the situation. Tim sighed. Grandpa's orders, Rick. You can't hide this anymore. Your grandfather has been dead for almost 50 years now, and he didn't do right by us when he was alive. Why do you think he'd do any different now that he's dead? Rick shot back, angrily. Tristan made eye contact with Jessica, a pleading look in his eye. Her face remained unreadable as she slowly pulled back her sleeve to reveal a brightly colored plastic watch. She tilted it in his direction, and he felt a sense of relief that he couldn't have possibly explained to anyone, including his cousin. On the face of the watch was none other than Maggie Simpson. Greta stepped forward and held up her hands to silence both men. Gentlemen, gentlemen, I'm afraid this is out of your hands now. I suggest that everyone remain calm. The bodyguards withdrew their pistols from their holsters, one pointing at the security guard, one at Rick, another at Tim, and the last at Tristan. We will be taking the source and leaving with no fight from any of you, she said, her voice considerably colder than the upstate New York weather. Rick stared down Tim in anger, unlike anything he had ever seen, while Tim's mind whirled. Tristan stepped in front of Tim, remembering the words in the short letter he had received only days before from his grandfather Roland. Protect Tim at all costs. Theme music by Carol Cockrell. Hey, this is Eric Cockrell. And Chuck Pino. The creators of Essence House. We're really excited that you took the time to listen and hope that you enjoyed it. We'd love your support on Patreon. $2 gets you two episodes a month, along with bonus commentary and our monthly chat show. Visit EssenceHouseStory.com and Searcy. Thank you so much for checking out our series. 
we're really excited about it. 